Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this program is the 24th program in this series where I'm beginning in John chapter 6. In the previous programs in John chapter 5, Jesus healed the man who was found at the pool of Bethesda, and there was a lot that Jesus was able to do and explain as a result of that healing. That's what I presented in the previous programs. In this program, beginning in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And it gives the impression here from verse 1, that is right after those things that were described in chapter 5. However, this was not really the case. There were a lot of things that happened between the events of John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. In order to illustrate this, I'd like to spend a little bit of time in the Gospel of Luke, just just for a couple of minutes, in order to explain the situation and describe a little bit more about the chronology, and also to give a few more details that I think are important to understand when getting into John chapter 6. In Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he called, referring to Jesus, then he called his twelve disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in John chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then in verse 7, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, referring to Jesus, and he was perplexed because it was said by some, that John had risen from the dead, referring to John the Baptist. By this time, John the Baptist had been executed. In Luke chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And by some, that Elijah had appeared, and by others, that one of the old prophets had risen again. So this was a perspective that some of the people had, that it could have been John the Baptist. Others thought that it could have been Elijah. And this is important for what I'm going to describe in a few minutes. That's verse 8, Luke chapter 9, verse 8. In verse 9, it says, Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And then in verse 10, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him, told Jesus, all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately 
into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. All right, so in verse 10, Luke chapter 9, verse 10, Jesus took them aside after they went on their missionary journeys. He also knew that Herod the Tetrarch was wanting to see him, which could, of course, turned out to be quite a conflict if Jesus allowed that to happen. And so Jesus took the apostles or the disciples, he took them on vacation privately to a deserted place, to an area where they did not expect to see anybody. But then in Luke chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But when the multitude knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for these people. So Jesus gave them a responsibility, but they did not have the authority or the provision to be able to fulfill this kind of a responsibility. But this is a better passage, I think, to refer to before going from John chapter 5 into John chapter 6, a passage like this, in order to get a better perspective concerning what had happened and what were some additional things that took place up until John chapter 6, the events described in John chapter 6. So going back up to John chapter 6, verse 1, again, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. That's verse 3, John chapter 6, verse 3. So what we have is we have Jesus taking the disciples on a vacation to a deserted place where they had the reasonable expectation that this was going to be a private event, a private occasion where they would be able to take a break and relax from all that they had done. But it says in John chapter 6 verse 2 that a great multitude followed him. So word got out. Somehow people found out that Jesus went to this deserted place across the Sea of Galilee. They were leaving the area that was predominantly under the authority of the religious Jews. And they went across the Sea of Galilee, known also as the Sea of Tiberias, to another region where the Jews did not have that much influence. The religious Jews did not have that much power over in this area. It would be a good place for everybody to take a break for everyone to go to a deserted area where there would not likely be much of anybody, and they could rest a little bit there. But a whole multitude went after the Lord Jesus. They went after him, and it was about 5,000 men, is the way that this is described as we continue to read. It was about 5,000 men, and in Matthew's account, it says that in addition to these, there were women and children. And so a reasonable estimate concerning what this multitude looked like was somewhere between 
perhaps fifteen and twenty thousand people. Fifteen and twenty thousand people went after Jesus, hunted him down, got a reasonable idea with regards to where he was going, some deserted area, and they followed him. They went there. They went over to this area, and Jesus received them, and he talked to them about the things of the kingdom of God, and he healed people who had a need to be healed. And after he interacted with the people, after he interacted with the people, the disciples urged him to send these people away. They should have known. Everybody should recognize that they were in a deserted area. And there was not a lot available there. There were a lot of rocks, and there was definitely some grass, but there wasn't any food for the people to purchase and eat. There wasn't enough food for people to be able to acquire what they would need in order to provide for fifteen to twenty thousand people who just showed up. So then, going back to John chapter six again in verse three, it says, "And Jesus went up on the mountain." And there he sat with his disciples. In verse four, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And I'll come back to verse four in just a moment. In verse five, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, "Where shall we buy bread that these may eat?" But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now again, from the other accounts that we have, we can say with confidence that Jesus already spent some time with these people. It wasn't just an occasion where he saw fifteen to twenty thousand people approaching, and then he thought, "Oh gosh, you know, where can we find some food for all these people to eat?" And he asked, he asked Philip, "Where shall we buy bread that these may eat?" Philip knew that there was no way that they would be able to buy enough bread for all of these people. In verse six, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. In verse seven, Philip answered him, two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. What he was saying was that even if we had the equivalent of two hundred days' wages, this would be the equivalent. Of two hundred days' wages, even if they had that, even if they had it available, which they might have, but chances are they didn't. If they had that, it would not be sufficient for every one of them to have a little. Not to mention the fact that they're going to have to leave this deserted area and go out into the surrounding region and find this amount of bread and bring it back. That's what they were. That that's what they were thinking at this point when Jesus said, "Why don't you go and feed these people?" Now, in verse four, it says that the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and this is an important reference because it gives you an idea with regards to how much food might have been available. The reason why was because we would know the Passover was approaching. If the barley was ready to be harvested, and this was monitored in the region of Jerusalem, if the barley was ready to be harvested, then the Passover was near. This is how they were able to determine when they would hold the Passover. There were a group of people who were responsible for going and examining the barley grain, and they would parch it with fire. And if it survived the fire, that means that the grain would be 
close to or reasonably ready to be harvested. And if the barley grain passed this test before the tenth day after the most recent full moon, then there would be signal fires that would be ignited, and the entire region would be notified through these signal fires that the barley was ready to be harvested. And that this would be the first month of this year of the Hebrew calendar, and that on the tenth day of the month, everybody would be expected to select their lambs that they were going to bring for the Passover in Jerusalem. If the barley was ready to be harvested after the tenth day, that was after the most recent full moon. If it was the eleventh day, the twelfth day, then the signal fires would be ignited. Like people would expect, however, because they would have counted the number of days from the most recent full moon, then they would know that there is going to be an extra month in the current calendar year, and that the first month will begin at the next full moon. Now we don't know exactly how close this barley harvest was, but in verse four, John chapter six, verse four, when it says, "Now the Passover." A feast of the Jews was near. I personally think that this is enough evidence to suggest that John wanted to let people know that the barley was pretty much ready to be harvested, and so there was likely grain available. There was barley grain available in the fields, and the people could have gone and they could have harvested the grain themselves. They could have gone and gleaned the outer edges. Of the barley fields, just as an example, if they were to go out into the region looking for food, they could have probably been able to obtain some barley, and they could have been able to take care of themselves. I personally think that it would be unlikely that the grain would have been harvested, and it would have been processed, and it would be ready for the surrounding communities to be able to. Produce enough bread for all of these people. However, the people could possibly have been able to glean the fields and obtain enough grain for themselves. And so, it is not likely that the people were in an absolute survival situation, such that Jesus would have to do something. However, I do believe because of the reference in verse four that the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And that this would be an indication that there was some food that was ready to be harvested. I personally think that the situation would be such that it would be very inconvenient for the people to obtain food, and that they went to Jesus with the expectation that he would do something. It's my opinion that this is the scenario. And of course, if Jesus refused to do something. Then they would probably go out to the fields, more than likely looking for barley to have something to eat, unless they brought food with them. But from what I can tell, Jesus and the disciples felt that there was not enough food around, and so what we have is we have a huge multitude of people who have decided, in a collective sense, to put Jesus in an awkward situation. In an awkward situation, in the sense that either he does something, or he is going to perhaps look bad. Now, what would they be expecting him to do? Would these people really show up? Twenty thousand, fifteen to twenty thousand people really show up in the middle of nowhere, in a deserted place. Would they really show up 
expecting Jesus and his disciples to feed them. Is this really what they're thinking? And I think it's reasonable to consider that maybe they thought that Jesus would do something. Since there is a desperate need, since there is a desperate situation, Jesus should probably do something. And since he can do the works of God, here's an opportunity for him to do a work of God. Let's get fifteen to 20,000 people together and we'll all go see Jesus in a deserted place where there are no resources at all, relatively speaking. And let's put him in a situation where he is going to have to feed us or he really is going to look bad, especially after they were willing to provide him with people to heal and they were willing to listen to him talk to them about the things of the kingdom of God. So after all, considering that they they went to him and they provided him with a way to demonstrate that he does the works of God through divine healing, and they provided him with an audience, people to listen to him speak about the things of God, certainly he should do something. He should do something that would provide these people with some food to eat, especially since we've got the women and children here too. That's the kind of situation that I see here. We have a manipulation is what we've got. We've got a collective group of fifteen to 20,000 people who all together are in effect, they are putting Jesus in an awkward situation through what could be very well described as a manipulation. Now, where could all these people be getting this idea from? Well, as I read earlier in Luke chapter 9, there were a number of people who believed that Jesus was Elijah, who has now appeared. Luke chapter 9, verse 8. It also says this a little further in Luke chapter 9, verse 19. And so you have Luke chapter 9, verse 8. And verse 19, where the people believed that Jesus could have been Elijah, or enough people believed that. And what was one of the miracles that Elijah did that would be relevant here? Relevant to this situation described in John chapter 6 with regards to Jesus feeding the 5,000 men. And in addition to that, more people, the women and the children, which would be estimated to somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people. What were these people thinking? Well, if Jesus was considered to be of the order or of the power, or perhaps Elijah himself who has reappeared, if Jesus is this person, it just so happens that there was a miracle that Elijah did that certainly could apply here. This is found in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 42. This is 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 42. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God, referring to Elijah, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, referring to Elijah, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, 
Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Barley, barley loaves. That's 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44, referring to the miracle of Elijah multiplying the barley. Returning again to John chapter 6, we have the Passover, a feast of the Jews that is near, which is a festival of the barley. That's how they determined when the Passover would be held. And so if they consider Jesus to be perhaps Elijah reappearing, then this is convenient. Here is an opportunity. Let's go to Jesus and see what he can do with the barley. And sure enough, Jesus performs the miracle. In verse 9 again, in John chapter 6, verse 9, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? In verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen the sign that Jesus did said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So through the miracle that Jesus performed, everybody recognized, they noticed what happened. They saw what took place and they acknowledged that this is definitely the prophet. This was their acknowledgement. This is the prophet who was referred to by Moses, that there would be a prophet who would come after Moses, who would be the representative of God, who would speak to the people about the things of God, and that this is the person that the people are to turn to. And it just so happens that he is the one who will invoke the new covenant, just as Moses invoked the old. And so we have the miracle that took place, and the people recognize that this is definitely a miracle of God. But what I want to emphasize again is that this was, in my opinion, a manipulation. This was a deception. This was an exercise of dishonesty. Everybody knew that this was a deserted place. The people knew that there weren't any resources available to be able to feed everybody. And they went to Jesus to confront him, to provoke him, to perhaps even corner him in a scenario where as if he does not do something, if he doesn't do something to feed these people, then the people may have a cause to reject Jesus as the Messiah. But he did the miracle, and through this the people apparently 
embraced him or they acknowledged that he is the Messiah. But what did that really mean to these people? What did that really mean? It meant that we have somebody who will give us food to eat. That's what it meant to these people. So in verse 15, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. He left. He got out of there because he saw what the people were really about. He saw what they were really doing there. He knew what was really going on. It wasn't so much about, hey, let's go listen to Jesus talk about the things of the kingdom of God. It wasn't really about that. And certainly there were people who got healed. That's a good thing. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what they were really doing there is that they cornered Jesus into a situation into a manipulation such that he would perform the miracle of Elijah. And through the miracle of Elijah, they would now see him as what? They would see him as this is the person who's going to feed us for the rest of our lives. That's how they saw him. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 24th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, where I explained that the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus did, could very well have been the response to a manipulation by fifteen to 20,000 people, approximately, that these people knew full well that there was not enough food available in this deserted place for them to be able to eat. However, because there were many people who believed that Jesus was Elijah, there was likely an expectation that in this kind of circumstance, Jesus would perform the miracle of Elijah of feeding many people with very little grain. And Jesus did this, but I will explain what he did afterwards in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.